never know where life is going to take you. Some people know exactly where they want to be and go for it full throttle. Others just stumble upon it organically, and then there are those who just follow their intuition. This is a podcast about reaching your personal best through resilience, motivation, and passion. This is Mark My Words. So today I have probably the most awesome guests that I've ever had on this show, and the pun is intended. I have Jamie and John Caponetta, and they are all about dogs. They represent Paulson University podcasts. They're also, I guess I shouldn't put that necessarily ahead, of head dog trainer owner at Paulson University. And they are also... The head dog, yeah, I said that. Oh, yeah, possum walks. There's so many possums going on here. (laughs) The possum walks, possum university podcast, head dog trainer owner at possum university, Jamie and John Caponetta. How you doing on this sunny day? We're good. How are you? Thanks for having us, Mark. I'm doing well. I, uh, you know, like many of these days that I do a podcast, I'm getting up early, I'm going into work, which is a long way from here, and then I'm running into my office to do a podcast with awesome people like you. So <laughs> thank you for your time, and I know you guys had a little one that you had to uh, get to calm down a little bit, so we were a little delayed, but uh, that's awesome. yes our son is one he's a little under the weather so we had to put him down for a nap all good all good so i am here today to first of all talk about your journey before we talk more things possum plenty to talk about there first of all for you guys so you're in this business or businesses together how did it all start for you guys? How did, how did you meet? Well, we met at uh, the local SPCA by us. So we're in, New, the, we're in uh, central New Jersey. So uh, the Monmouth County SPCA, John was already working there. And then I decided to make a career change. I was actually working for my sorority's headquarters when I graduated college because it was good money at the time. And then I realized a year and a half in that I was miserable. So I said, uh, I'm going to be a dog trainer out of nowhere. And my mom was like, well, you're still living home. Might as well do it now. So I, you know, got into school. It was all online. And then while I was doing that and I quit my Philly job, I said, you know, I might as well do something in the industry while I'm learning to be a dog trainer. So I wanted to um, work at the local shelter. So I got a job there and John wound up being my boss. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's always a uh, abrupt turn to the story. Uh, it's true. Uh, you came in for your interview and... You say it was love at first sight for you. Yes, it was. It was. <laughs> I had a girlfriend at the time, um, but at the time I was doing uh, humane law enforcement, so animal cruelty investigations, and then I was also running the canine care department for the shelter. So uh, Jamie was going to be a handler with canine care, which would in- involve everything as far as handling the dogs, 
taking care of them, cleaning them, getting them exercised, things like that. So uh, you got hired at the SPCA. Yep. And um, while I was there, I wound up continuously doing my training certification. Um, I was there for a little bit over a year and then I decided to work for a dog groomer, get a little bit of different experience going on because there's a lot that goes into, um, training as well when you're dealing with a dog that's basically put in an uncomfortable situation. So I learned to dodge some bites and, and really learned how to take my time with dogs and make sure that, you know, going the positive reinforcement route, which is really what John and I are all about. I was learning how to do that in a situation where a lot of the times that's not the, those precautions aren't taken, you know, the time isn't taken to make these dogs feel more comfortable when they're being groomed or even just bathed. Um, so I learned a lot there. I actually learned a lot from the woman that I was working for in terms of how to be a business owner. Um, John, was still working at the SPCA for a, a very long time. And then, um, you know, we started Possum Walks first, mm -hmm. uh, which was, you know, we, I said, once I got certified, I was like, there's no way anybody's going to like see me a new dog trainer and say, oh, let me hire her. You know what I mean? Like they're looking for experience. They want somebody who knows what they're doing. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to put people in that situation and like totally get rejected over and over and over again. So we said, well, why don't we do dog walking, training and overnight sitting? So that's how Boston Walk started. Um, it really just started with me. Then I started getting the ball ro rolling and then John was kind of doing walks and stuff on when he would get out of work or on his days off. So we were kind of just grinding seven days a week. Yeah. And then we started hiring more people. Um, I was in a car accident, so I actually took a pretty big hit in terms of my spine. So I needed to take a little bit of a break and we actually hired somebody to kind of help us out while I was getting better. And it kind of spiraled from there. So we've had, oh God, at one before COVID, we had nine walkers. Yeah. And now we're we're down to like four. So um with COVID, that kind of hit us pretty hard. But after possum walks took off and that kind of we took a step away from the walks physically us taking a stay from a, a, a step away from the walks um we focused more on the training aspect so um i am a positive reinforcement dog trainer but i also went back to school to get my certification in behavioral consulting so i am a step down from a behaviorist a behaviorist is a vet and a dog trainer I was not going back to school to be a vet because that was going to take me a very long time. Um, so I am right a step underneath that. The only thing that's different is that I can't write prescriptions. And obviously I don't understand how they affect the body other than behavioral medications. You're, you're not a doctor. I'm not that's, a doctor. Exactly. So not a doctor. <laughs> nope. Sorry to disappoint. <laughs> <laughs> um, so John since then has left the SPCA and working for the business full time. Yep. Awesome. So I'd be curious to find out, since John was there long before you, where did your passion for dogs come from? So my passion was always public safety. I was an EMT. I always wanted to get into law enforcement. Um, I, was I was working as a dispatcher for an ambulance company, and I had been laid off because they lost a large contract. And it, I was at a point where I was like, all right, I've always wanted to crack into the animal field. I love animals. I want to get into law enforcement. I know this is a good route to get to humane law enforcement to start doing animal cruelty stuff. So I saw that they were looking to hire a part-time animal care attendant. So that's how I got in. I got in part-time, minimum wage, working at the shelter. And I just, after a couple of years, worked my way up. I got noticed. I got the opportunity to go to the police academy. I went through that. And then... You know, everything just kind of fell into place. Wow. So neither one of you, I feel, 
really came into this feeling like this was going to evolve into what it became. Am I correct? Oh God, no! Yeah. I never yeah. thought we would be where we're at now. Nope. But uh, when you when you face adversity, you got to push forward, and then crazy things like this grow out of it. Yeah, and I we. I was even just saying to John the other day, like, I'm just so happy with how our life panned out. Like, we've got three rescue dogs, we have a house, we have a baby, we've got two businesses, and like, we just do our own thing. Like, we we make our own schedules, and like, I have three days off because I can, and I don't do anything I don't want to do. I don't have to work holidays. You know what I mean? So it's being our own business owners. Like, it's it's very freeing. Like, you do have to have a lot of discipline. Like. A lot of people, and you'll hear this from a lot of people who own their own business, um, especially if it's if it's a lot of social media and stuff like that, and there's content involved. It is a 24 hour, seven day a week type job. Like I'm, we're both constantly on our phones. Which, if there was one thing I could change, that would probably be it because I I hate being on my phone. It literally drives me nuts. Um, but it is what we have to do to communicate. People want to ask you questions. People want to know about what you're doing, what sets you apart, especially in the dog training world, because our occupation is not regulated. Anybody can wake up one day and say, like I did, I wanna be a dog trainer. But you don't have to go to school. You don't have to have certifications. You can just start training dogs and say that you know this and you know that. And how you are and what you do and and the people that you work with and if they give you a good review or bad review, that's how your life's gonna go. Because there's nothing like, it's not like when you're a doctor and you have to continuously take classes and keep up with your certification. And like, if you do something wrong, you lose your license. Like that's not how dog training works. Um, so there's a lot of people like that you see on TV that are dog trainers, but they're not really dog trainers. They're not even certified. Um, so basically that is probably the biggest part of being a business owner for us is like we are constantly working but we do have a lot of freedom to do what we want and separate ourselves from time to time and say okay today we're not doing any work we're just having family time but there are times where like john and i are up late at night and we're answering emails and it's it's just the grind you have to be comfortable with doing both I have to say that that's the kind of lifestyle I personally need more at this point in my life. And just listening to you guys talk about that, I mean, obviously it's a lot of hard work and I can understand that. But to have the freedom to just say, hey, it's such and such holiday. You know what? I'm shutting it down for the day. Well, yep. I wish I could do that. I am not. It's very freeing. Yeah, I am not in a situation to do that. But every once in a while, I like to daydream that I can do that. And that yeah. is freeing. I mean, you could. You absolutely could. I mean, for us, I never thought it would happen. And I think, you know, I think it depends on the time in your life. And people come to us all the time with like, you know, because our friends and family and stuff, they see what we did and they ask us a lot of questions. And I, and I love that because I like that entrepreneurial spirit. And you know, you just got to do it. Like if you wait one more day, you're just putting yourself off. Honestly, like you're not hurting anybody yeah. else, but you yourself. just got to start. That's the biggest thing. And just I, start. I, like I was saying before, like, I think my circumstances, like it, it kind of worked out for us. Like John and I, we were, we were younger than we are now. Um, and we were still living with our parents and didn't have a mortgage. You know what I mean? Like it was the time to do it. And we, it was funny because I came home from work that day and John was already home and he was like on the computer and I was like, what are you doing? He was like, we're starting a business. And I was like, 
what? <laughs> what are you talking about? And he was like, we're doing this. And I was like, we can't do that. I can't, over I can't run a business. Like, and when you really think about it, cause my entire life, people have been telling me what to do. And I've always worked for somebody. And then he's telling me, no, this is what we're doing. And he, before this had how many businesses? Uh, three failed businesses. Yeah. So lots of lessons learned. And I think that that definitely brought us to where we are as well. Like John learned what to do and what not to do. And I am a little bit more on the more outgoing side than he is. So us together, it worked out really, really well. So John, speaking of what you learned and what, what you shouldn't, shouldn't do, why don't you tell me what you think you shouldn't do and should do? Well, you shouldn't, well, I think the biggest thing for what you shouldn't do, I, a lot of my lessons are from, I tried to do like apparel brands. So like making like streetwear or, you know, t-shirts for this or that. And I put too much in, into my brand without thinking like I not giving anybody a reason to have any loyalty to my brand. So I just thought, all right, I have this cool logo and I'm going to slap it on a shirt and everyone's going to think it's really cool and they're going to want to buy it. When in reality you have like Nike who just puts a check on something and they triple the price, at least, um, they have brand loyalty. People are loyal to their brand. When you're first starting out, there's no brand loyalty. There's just you and your hustle and you need to create things and just don't expect that things are going to be handed to you. If, if you build it, they won't necessarily come. So you got to get it in front of them and, and you need to, if it's a product that you're bringing to market, it needs to be good. It needs to be marketed well. If it's t-shirts, you need to be creative. You can't just come up with a, you know, a, a, a nonsense logo, slap it on everything and then see what sticks to the wall. You just have to really invest in a, in a, in a, in an image, in a brand and really sell it to people. And I think t telling people why, like why you're doing that, why, why that image is on that shirt, I think is, is what really sets it apart. Like, I'm just thinking like all the, the other entrepreneurs that are on Instagram and stuff like that. And like, they've got like those, those sea braces, bracelets, they're like made from like mud of the sea and stuff like that. But it's like, it like, gotcha. they donate money back and stuff like that. So like, yeah. there's gotta be like something exceptionally cool about what you're doing for people to say, oh yeah, I really like that brand. I like what they stand for. And you know, you were much younger then and, and you didn't really know right. that. And in the case of like our business now, what we brought to the table was our tons of experience in animal welfare and working hands-on with shelter animals who tend to have way more behavioral issues because they've been abused. So we brought that to the table and we really leveraged that as far as marketing. And that's what drew a lot of people into Possum Walks. And we exclusively for a while, were only hiring people with a shelter background. So people who worked in a shelter would then be eligible to come work for us if they wanted to. And we just kind of grew off that, off this, um, everybody that works for Possum Walks is super experienced, is going to be able to handle your dog no matter how difficult they are. You know your dog's going to get the best treatment. And that's really what got, like, got people coming to us and cho choosing us over something else. So the one thing that I got out of all that is I'm smart for not trying to get in the apparel game at this point. So apparel is oversaturated, oh very difficult. And uh, it, it, everyone's I would doing not, it. I would not recommend anybody get into the apparel game, build something else. And whether it be a giant meme account or something, something on Instagram where you post memes and you have a, a you get a following and then you can dabble with apparel and just put your logo on things. But like if we did apparel now and we really did like a, a big possum university uh, line, 
uh, a podcast stuff, I'm sure people would buy it. But if we did that three years ago, that wouldn't happen. People would be like, what is that? What, what is, is that? Why would I buy that? <laughs> yeah. So the apparel game is definitely hard. And I think, I think especially for you, um, away from like the branding in, in general, like, would you agree that you learned more business, like how to like be a little bit more outgoing and talk to people and, and really like putting yourself out there? Um, I didn't learn that. I learned that from you. Uh, that was probably the core reason why most of my businesses failed because I, I'm really good at building brands, but I'm a terrible salesman. Um, I don't like that uncomfortableness of, of making the sale. So that's what hey, I got. You're you talking, <laughs> you're talking to the king of last place in sales at just cabinets in my hometown. I was a horrible salesman. So <laughs> believe me, anything you're doing has to be a little bit better than what I was doing back then. <laughs> it's not easy though. Like, and there's tons of people like even now that like are having really good businesses. I forget who I was talking to the other day. They have something that's something that just started and they're so uncomfortable when it gets to the sales part. Like they can say why their stuff is good, but when it comes to the money, it's like you're offending somebody by telling them the price of your worth. And this makes us uncomfortable. And I do, I would say that I don't know about like country wise, but I do feel like America, we don't talk about this stuff. We like, even like in our families and stuff, like nobody grows up with parents that are like, yeah, I make this amount in my salary. This is how much I put aside for taxes. There's not even a class on taxes. So everyone's uncomfortable when they talk about money in general. So I think that's a, that's a huge thing for a lot of people. And it's, it's their downfall which they don't want to, they don't want to say their worth. Oh, it was the girl who does the, the pit portraits. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. She was talking about when she, um, there's a girl that we had on our podcast. She's local to us and she does really awesome pastel portraits of dogs. Crazy. Like they look better than the actual photo. Like she does an amazing job, but she even said like, she's telling people how much it costs. Like it makes her uncomfortable because it's not the easiest thing in the world to do because our entire lives when we worked nine to fives or even part-time jobs when we were younger, there was somebody else handling the money. Wow. Now when someone just said, here's your paycheck. And it's easy. Well, speaking of being artistic, I do my research before I do my show. And I saw that at some point you majored in painting. Is that correct? I did. I did. I did. And I also had, um, we did have another business actually. Yeah, that, that was the real first business, but yes. that was like a, a little side thing for you. We called it Possum Painting. So another that was, spin on that the was the start of Possum. It started yeah. as Possum Paintings. Um, and I was actually painting dog portraits for people as well, but this girl is way better than I ever was. So I'll give her that. Um, but yes, I was, I was an art major in college. That's what I went for. And then, um, I actually went to be a, an art teacher. And then I said to myself, I can do so much more. Not that being a teacher is, is like low level or anything like that. It's amazing being a teacher, but I wanted to do more. I wanted to like be creative on my own rather than I guess teaching other people how to do it. Um, and then I graduated and I didn't do anything with it until the business came around. Um, but yeah, we, we, uh, we were, I don't know if, where, where are you located again? I'm located in Maryland. Well, so, I think you said you worked for Sirius, right? Uh, well, I, I do. I don't really like to mention that too much. <laughs> I, you work I, in, the, in the radio industry. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I work in the radio industry. Yeah. So, so we, we were actually on the Elvis Durand morning show. Um, I wrote him a letter telling him about my business, my painting business. And I actually sent him a picture of his dog, Max. 
I painted it. And um, he gave us a huge shout out. And I think that was like a year's worth of, yeah. of commissions. Insane. Wow. That's yeah, amazing. it was crazy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Just for a record, I've never met Elvis Duran. I have absolutely no affiliation. Like, I think the, the reason why I'm a little paranoid about that, I had another corporate job in the broadcasting industry. And we actually had like an HR meeting, like, they're like, don't ever mention that you work here. And if you do, <laughs> you know, you got to let us know and you got to have permission. I don't really know the policies of my current employer. So <laughs> I'm sure just the mention of it is probably fine. I'm yeah. not talking about anybody. Yeah. So, nor do it's I have this. Best is not, to uh, like, keep yourself safe. Yeah. Yeah. I like to keep myself safe. This is not a scandalous uh, podcast by any means. <laughs> I don't have any dirt or on anybody no. <laughs> but i i try not to talk about it but it's not like a huge secret like ooh, where does he work you know it's <laughs> it's not like that i just yeah uh, i'm paranoid because of the other experience so that's why but yeah now i'm getting way off track here so <laughs> but no that's really awesome yeah. um so you guys said something about like your path and just kind of like growing from the experiences and just doing it and i know on my behalf not to divert from what we were talking about but uh i know for me i've learned a ton through just you know what i'm just gonna do it because for years i was like okay am i gonna be a blogger am i gonna start an llc Am I going to, like, make video content? What am I going to do? And much to John's point, I just said, you know what? I'm doing a podcast. I'm just going to do it. I have no podcast experience. I've never listened to a podcast, but I'm going to do it. And I'm going to just do it my way. And you, I, I don't necessarily know where this show is going to go, but I can see the growth just from doing it because I know last year I recruited a lot of people that I knew just from the entrepreneurial world like hey I got a podcast beyond it'll be a good time then I went to that group that we all met on and mm -hmm. it's just really blown up and I've gotten to learn so much so to your point about starting just any business you just or just doing anything in life sometimes you just gotta do it yeah i mean we've met so many people who hate their jobs like hate their jobs and it makes me so sad because i'm like this is like 50 percent of your life like you do this all day long nine to five like that's a 40-hour yeah. work week and most most people work over that and i can't imagine going back to that life like we've always talked about it, like, God forbid, like something happened, like, and we had to go like, go back to work and, and really, you know, get a, a nine to five to pay the bills and stuff like that would be the worst case scenario. Like that would be literally my nightmare because I can't imagine being on somebody else's schedule and doing something that maybe I'm not super passionate about. Yeah. And then not having the opportunities that our business has afforded us, you know, we've gotten to do really cool things because of it. Yeah. And, you know, we have this, we have our podcast, which 
has opened up so many different doors for us and networking with different people and mm -hmm. being able to help different rescues and all, all these things that we would never ever have been able to do if we stayed where we were or if we just went to a new job thinking the grass would be greener yeah. uh, if we if we never took that chance uh, i have no idea where we'd be now i agree and we like john said we met a lot of cool people we have clients in belgium australia scotland and all over the united states and i think this is one of the most satisfying aspects of starting any kind of business, especially something that has the reach that something like you're doing or something like I'm doing. I have met people from all over the world. I think I talked to somebody a few weeks ago with like an Estonian background. That's like just ridiculous. I never yeah. thought I'd have a show with just so many different backgrounds and it's really amazing and every time i do any show regardless of what it is it's just getting a window into that universe you know just a window into their life your life i'm totally energized for like the rest of the day that carries over i mean it's an amazing experience it really opens up the world and your mind in so many ways beyond just what's in front of you absolutely i completely agree um it's it's definitely been a world a whirlwind for us and i can say like i think even yesterday i had a client and i came home and i told john on all about it and it like they were telling me how grateful they were for everything that i was doing uh-oh i think you guys might have frozen up a little bit Oh, no, it's a repeat of a few weeks ago where I believe I lost my guess here. Must be another internet connection uh, issue. I mean, it is 5 o'clock in the afternoon here. Ah, there you go. Sorry about that. I don't know what happened no, there. No, it's okay. This <laughs> seems to be peak time, as I was mentioning while you guys were gone, for <laughs> internet connectivity issues. So I had somebody on a few weeks ago who we got like halfway through and they just could not keep their connection. Oh, but their, their situation was different. They just got new internet, like they changed everything up. So hopefully this was just a fluke and yeah. uh, we it looks can carry on. Yep. So like I was saying, you know, I came home the other day and I think I had received a text from like an, um, a client that I worked with like a month or two ago. And um, they were like, yeah, we, we, um, we had, oh, it was uh, their, their granddaughter who they were very nervous about being around their, their new dog that they adopted not too long ago. Um, and they were like, we're, we're having a hard time not putting our guard down. Cause I, I always tell them, listen, like whatever we do, like when there's children involved, you always have to be a little bit more cautious than you would be in any other situation. Um, especially when the little ones are involved. So I said, you know, do what you're, what, what I trained you to do, do everything, all positive reinforcement, get super excited. And he was being so good that they were like, they kept forgetting, you know, and the fact that we could change his behavior that drastically in a few months around kids who 
kids normally upset dogs that are insecure. So it's, it's a big thing that John and I do on the regular is dealing with insecure dogs that are either scared of kids, scared of strangers or scared of dogs. And to see this dog really like flourishing with this, with this three-year-old was amazing. So, you know, like you said, you're on a high all the time when, when you, when you do this kind of stuff. And, and just from our normal daily thing, like I think John and I both know that we're exactly where we were meant to be. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. Well, speaking of being on a high, let's talk about the high of uh, being involved with dogs. So which one, obviously the podcast is the newest one, but which one did the training come first or was it the walking? So it was the walking that came first and that we, we did that. It, we were very intentional as to why we did that. Um, like Jay had said earlier, we, uh, she had just graduated. She's a new dog trainer and most people don't want to put their, take a chance on a new dog trainer. They want someone who's experienced, who's been through it. So we knew that we had to build possum walks and create a name for ourselves and then slip in, you know, she started with puppy training and we, most of our dog walking clients would, would be interested in, you know, a training session here or there, it'd be at a reduced rate. And slowly you start to get this notoriety and you start to learn more things and especially still she was still volunteering for the shelter at that time. So still working hands-on with the difficult dogs. So slowly building up experience, building up a client base. And then, then I, I think it was like almost three years, like two and a half years of possum walks before you took the leap. I would say two years. I think it was two years of possum walks. And then we, we, you really uh, came up with possum half, university. Was, we launched possum university in February. So it had to have been half. Oh. Yeah. So two, about two and a half years of possum walks going and building a client base, building a name for yourself and then actually having of like a full schedule of just training, yeah, just training. Like I wasn't walking anymore or, any, or doing any of that. It was just trainings, which I would have never thought would have happened for me to not, not have to do like a normal walking schedule and dealing with clients in person. Like now I was able to get clients from all over the place that wanted that wanted me have heard about right. me and heard great things and the reviews that they heard were amazing. And that I like, you know, I take my time with every dog and, and the fact that people are coming to me for that. And they're, they're, I don't want I guess like on their last leg, like they're almost like ready to throw in the towel. And I love that. That's my favorite client. I love to undo that. I love to say, no, your dog doesn't need to be euthanized or no, your dog doesn't need to be taken to the shelter. Um, we can absolutely fix this. I have never turned a client away. Um, it doesn't matter the issues, the bite history, anything. It doesn't scare me. And I know in most situations, I am that dog's lifeline. And that's very important to me. I want to, I want to show people that you know, same thing with our children, just because your, your kids, uh, you know, acting out or, you know, beating people up or acting out of school, um, getting bad grades. You don't just throw your dog. You don't just throw your kids away. Like you work on them. You don't give up. And it's, it should be the same exact thing with our animals. And I think our biggest thing, and I think the podcast has really helped us with this is getting our knowledge and, and the way that taking care of your animals should be out to the world. Like it's a bigger platform for us to say, Hey, stop hitting your dog, <laughs> you know, feed your dog the right amount of food. Stop leaving them outside, you know, treat them like you would your children. Hopefully you treat your children well, but you know what I mean? Like we're trying to make people understand that our dogs should be treated like family. 
And I think that the way that our business has gone from the walking to just the training to now virtual behavioral consulting and then the podcast on this large platform, it's just really spiraled. Yeah. Yeah. You, uh, the, but like you said about family dogs, that, that was when we decided to actually do the spinoff of Boston University and really kind of separate the two. So Boston Walks was only going to be pet care and Boston University was going to be training. We came up with the slogan, higher learning for the family dog. And that was like the tagline for Boston University. Like, this is what we're about. We're not about making military dogs or police dogs. We make family dogs and we fix family dogs. And that then I, I it really only grew from there. It just yeah. got, you know, more that's and more what, notoriety. That's what people want, though. They want most of the time. That's what people want. They want their dogs to coexist with their family. But they hear traditional trainers say, no, no dogs on the bed, no dogs on the couch. Your dog needs to heal when you say heal and all this stuff. And we don't do any of that. You know, our dogs sleep in bed with us. Our dogs are on the couch, but they respect it. You know what I mean? They're, they're not tearing stuff up and they're not peeing and pooping everywhere. You know, they are really well-rounded dogs because we uphold our side of the bargain. I teach my clients, this is, you can't wait for your, it's like saying to your kids, like, well, when you start respecting me, I'll respect you. Why would your kids respect you if you don't, if you're not nice to them, it wouldn't happen. And that we can understand. But when it comes to our animals where we are, we take the total opposite approach, you know, be alpha, be stern. You need to, you know, be, be that thing for your dog to respect. And, and I don't even, when I try to talk to my clients, I try not to even use the word respect because it gets a very bad negative connotation. Um, I don't want your dog to respect you. I want you guys to just get along. I want everyone to live happily and coexist. And, and if you're giving your dog all of its necessary resources, there's no reason why your dog should be getting in trouble or be doing anything wrong. But if you're not communicating properly and you're not giving them what they need, what they absolutely need to be the best version of themselves, you should not expect any different than what you have right now. I love what I'm hearing from you guys, because it really goes back to what seems to be the core of your business, which is the positive reinforcement aspect. Do you think that's like the main thing that it takes to be successful in doing this? Or is there anything else that complements it or helps it out? I, I, I think that being positive reinforcement when you're starting out, at least right now, and this is what we're trying to change, it's almost like a detriment. Because you have every all these other, they're called aversive trainers, tra trainers that train using fear and pain. Um, they're basically getting paid to abuse people's dogs. Strong collars, shock collars, yelling, hitting. And they are given the biggest platform because when you talk about things in media, you have, you know, the dog whisperer, Caesar Milan, who is an aversive trainer. You have this new Netflix series that's out, uh, Canine, Canine Intervention. Canine Intervention. He's an aversive trainer. And the media likes to showcase these aversive trainers who train with punishment and fear because that's sexier to watch. That's entertaining. Pos I always say positive reinforcement training isn't sexy because it's it not. takes a long time. You, it's literally like therapy for your dog. So people, I think we like, what's it called? Um, like instant gratification. Like we want to see things like that the snap of our finger, we need something to be fixed. And that's not how dog training works. Just like John said, like just, if you're going to therapy, if you have anxiety or depression or something traumatic happened to you, you have PTSD, that takes months, maybe years to fix. And nobody's going to sit around and watch that show. And 
what upsets me is like there are so many different and even good morning america they just had a negative reinforcement they call themselves balance trainers um they had a balance trainer on which means they they do both but in reality this dog was sitting there on a prong collar not even doing anything it's unnecessary um they had him on there because he got TikTok famous because he could show people in 60 seconds how to make a dog stop jumping or to how how to make a dog not run out the front door in 60 seconds the way that i train it's not going to take 60 seconds because i need to literally communicate with your dog who does not speak english why they should not do a b and c and that they get more positive resources food love praise when they don't do these negative behaviors and i can't show that in 60 seconds so i don't get the spotlight i don't i don't get people saying oh look at what she's doing no it's the people who can yell at a dog enough where they're like oh crap i don't want to get hit yeah of course they're going to stop but your relationship with your dog is crap and that's the basis of what i tell people you can go that route you can absolutely go that route and yeah your dog may stop barking growling and lunging but you will get bit eventually and you'll yeah. be flabbergasted that it happened. Yeah, you didn't you didn't modify the behavior. You, you didn't change it. anything. All you did was suppress the behavior. So that's why what looks like instant results, like when you slap a prong collar on a dog and they stop pulling, you're suppressing the behavior inside. The reason why they're pulling, whether it be anxiety, reactivity, fear, that's still going on. But now they're suppressing that behavior. And now you've now missed out on all these opportunities to be able to read their body language and whatever it is that they're reactive to if they're now experiencing pain you're reinforcing their fear of that thing or their anger towards that thing you're you're making them hate it even more i think a good example is if you're walking your dog and they they look like they don't like dogs now this is we call this reactivity um usually it's on leash because that's where you see most dogs when you're on leash there's also like behind front doors our dogs go crazy behind front doors fences outside yada 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 um the biggest example I always give is if you're walking a dog on a prong collar because they keep barking, lunging and growling at other dogs while they're walking. And every single time you leash pop them, which makes the prong collar tighter and it hurts them. That's why they listen. So people say, oh, it doesn't hurt. Well, if it doesn't hurt, then how are you getting results? So I know it hurts. I've, I've put one on myself. It's painful. Um, so we're ripping them back. We're, we're, we're doing leash pops and they stop, right? They stop lunging. They start barking. They stop growling because they're in pain. You did not fix the fear. It's nine times out of 10, it's fear reactivity. It's not actual aggression. That word gets passed around a lot. Most dogs I deal with are not aggressive. Um, aggressive dogs are the dogs I say, don't wanna be with people, don't wanna be dogs, they wanna be left alone. They don't want anybody in their life, right? Anybody else, any other dog is, is mostly fear and insecure reactive. Um, so when you're walking and the way that I do it is I'm gonna positively reinforce this dog because I know that the the actual behavior that's happening, so the barking, lunging, and growling are just side effects of fear. If I fix the fear, the barking, lunging, and growling goes away. But if I keep treating the issue with the side effects, I never fix the emotion, right? So we're leash popping them on the prong collar and we, we see that they're, the barking, lunging, and growling is decreasing, but it's only because it's pain. But they're saying to themselves, every single time I'm around a dog, I feel pain. I hate dogs more. You are never going to get that dog on the prong collar that you're leash popping with a dog ever. It's not going to happen. And if you do, they'll probably attack them um, because that, like John's saying, like it's a, it's a ticking time bomb that you just took the tick away from. And it's going to explode eventually. And you'll just be shocked when it happens because you thought that your training actually worked. But in reality, 
This dog is pent up, ready to go at any given time because you did not explain to them, dogs are okay. It's okay to be around other dogs. You're not going to get hurt. I'm not going to get hurt. Not They're not taking your resources. You know, they're not taking your food. You're okay. Everything is fine. We have to instill confidence. And that's not what we're doing in traditional dog training. Positive reinforcement training, people think I'm crazy. These dogs are barking, lunging, and growling. And I'm telling them they're a good boy and girl and getting super excited. People are looking at me like I'm nuts. But my theory works. That, just that alone. So I know cats are different from dogs. but Yes, very when, different. <laughs> when I started saying good boy to my male cat, his attitude about me and a lot of things like completely changed. It was like such a small thing my wife suggested. She was like, yeah. why don't you say good boy to him once in a while to encourage him? Because one thing that he does is he goes downstairs with me. We have a freezer. We keep some stuff down there, but he won't come up. I'll be just be like, come on, okay, it's time. And he just won't come up. But if I say good boy, he'll come up. We make it worth it for them. If every single time your dog is around another dog or a kid or a stranger and you're saying good boy and constantly treating them really good food, why would they not want to be around that dog, kid or person more right. often? It, we ha it's all about association. I think this is like the biggest ticket item that, you know, with COVID we've been able to, to really, because we had to step our game up in terms of how to communicate and, and really do these virtual trainings and get our points across to people when we're not physically there. So it's a lot of us conversing now. And I had to put it in words where people could truly understand what, what we're trying to explain here. And dogs are very black and white. It, like how you said before, it's a very, very easy thing to do, but we make it extremely complicated. And I always say dogs and kids learn extremely similarly. The only difference is that you can say to a kid, obviously, once they're communicating, they're in the, the age of understanding and speak English, um, that you can say, don't do A, B, and C because X, Y, Z will happen. And those are not good things, right? You can say that to a kid and eventually, even if it's not in the beginning, they can eventually say, okay, that makes sense. I understand cause and effect. Dogs do not have that. Dogs do not have logical thinking. They do not, they cannot say, oh, ABC happened and now XYZ is going to happen afterwards. It's not how it works. So, you know, if we are constantly telling them good boy, good girl during these times of stress, they're going to associate those times of stress slowly but surely that these are okay times. Things are, are looking up for me. But if every single time I'm yelling at my dog while it's barking at the mailman, of course, they're going to hate the mailman more. But we think that's what we're supposed to do. That's what traditional dog training tells you to do. Put your dog in their place. So one thing I wanted to ask you for this show. Now, I don't currently have a dog, but if I do, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be getting one because my wife wants one pretty bad. And I, I want one too. I had two dogs growing up. But I had one dog that I used to take for a walk all the time. And I felt like she was more like taking me for a walk. And I know that's something you guys specialize in. Mm -hmm. How can you get a dog to stop necessarily taking you for the walk? What were you walking your dog on in terms of like harm hardware, like a harness, a collar? It was just a collar and one of those uh, leashes that uh, were Bungie? flexible so they could go. All right. Far. So 
throw both of those things out. <laughs> well, this was this was like in the mid nineties. So yeah, so things are very different now in terms of how we walk our dog. So um, anybody that's listening that's having a hard time with walking your dog, I want you to get the Easy Walk harness from Safe Pet. Pet safe. Pet safe. Yeah. I'm I'm mildly dyslexic, so this bear is, with me. Well, okay. I, I want to. I think you're you're getting a little ahead of yourself. It's important to identify the reason that. Yes. There's there's a reason why they're pulling, and we need to figure out what that reason is. You know, is it reactivity? Is it? And what what Jay is about to talk about is a condition. What's called the conditioned reflex, which is the freedom reflex. And I'll, there you, you go. You I just wanted to. You honestly explain it better than I do. So the freedom reflex. It's a conditioned reflex that's been observed in dogs that basically they are aware of the fact that if they feel that tug between their shoulder blades pulling them back, they're going to want to pull forward. And they know that if they pull forward, they'll be granted more freedom. They'll be able to move further down the sidewalk or get through the door wherever they're trying to go. And whenever we do these, we, we clip to their collar, we clip to their harness and they, and they pull and they're allowed all that freedom from when they're a puppy till, you know, whatever age they've now been conditioned to when they feel that pull behind them, they're going to pull forward even harder. And that's called the freedom reflex. They're not trying to be bad. You know, they're, right. they're just doing, and I think this is, is a good thing to mention too. Dogs every day wake up and the only thing they care about is getting the most resources possible. If I pull more, I get to this spot faster. If I do this, I get that. They're not saying, how can I piss off dad today? That's not what goes through their brain. Um, so the if you can observe this reflex in yourself, if you remember when you were walking that dog, the second you got outside, you typically brace yourself for getting pulled. You'll, you'll tuck your elbow in behind your back and you'll be ready to, to, you know, handle the, the impact on the leash. Mm -hmm. That's a conditioned reflex. You've been conditioned to do that. Now, every time you go out to walk your dog, you're conditioned because you think you're going to get pulled and your dog thinks that it's going to get pulled. So you're both doing it. You could observe it in the dog or in the person. And the biggest thing here with the easy walk harness, the reason why we recommend it is that we are breaking the cycle. We're not activating that reflex. We're not stimulating any of the nerves behind the neck or in the back. And thus we're not going to stimulate that reflex from the jump. So the easy walk harness clips to the front and then we also clip up to the collar. So it stays nice and high. So you have to use the harness and a collar at the same time. And then uh, I'll let you just talk about the collar and how it works. Yeah. So basically the easy walk goes across the chest, across the shoulder blades, and then underneath the armpit. So it's three straps. That's it. Nothing down the chest. Like most harnesses do that messes everything up. When you just have the strap across the shoulder blades, like kind of like where your collarbone would be on you. Um, there's a ring there. And we're going to make sure that that strap in general is nice and tight, depending on the dog's body, body posture. Right. And we're going to take that, the clip to your leash, clip the ring on the harness, and then take that same clip and double clip it to the collar ring. So now you have your collar and your harness attached together, and it's going to stay upright on the chest of the dog. Now, let's say you're walking your dog and your dog goes to pull or lunge towards another dog or anything, really. They're going to get turned back towards you rather than have all of this energy to pull you down and drag you. They get pulled towards you. One, not being able to get that instant gratification of where they want to go. Two, it's going to trip them up a little bit and kind of get them refocused on you because you're going to be there with your positive reinforcement, talking to them, you know, cheering them on, trying to get them to understand it and really come back to you. Um, and we're really going to have more control. 
we can break that cycle of a lot of times when dogs are reactive or, you know, they're even pulling. Sometimes I like, I like to call it seeing red. They, they can't, you could say, sit, you can say, look, you can say, wait, you can say all the commands that you know, they know inside your house. Second, you get outside, especially if you have like a hound or a big sniffer, it's like they're in a trance. They cannot hear you or see you. And in those moments, I don't want you to leash pop your dog. I, I want you to try and get control of your dog in a way where you can say, hey, look up at me. And they're like, oh, hi, I forgot you were here because it happens. It happens to them and, and they're, you know, they're doing their best. And I think if we understand them a little bit better and we try to understand that they're not trying to be disrespectful or, you know, and you know, they're, they're not trying to be bad. If we, if we like take that connotation out of our brain and we try to communicate with them in a better way, we're going to have a lot easier time training them because our expectations are not super, super high. And we can actually give them a better platform to do the right thing and helping them do so not saying sit or look over and over and over again when we know they can't do it. So with, with the, the walking, I don't even like to use the heel command. A lot of trainers will, will teach heel. I don't teach it because it's not a common thing to say back in the day when, when we first started. Yeah, I did teach you. And then I realized like, why am I teaching you? I don't even like saying it. It's not a natural word. It's not, yeah. it's, you shouldn't have to give a command for your dog to walk no, nicely. You shouldn't, yeah. it should, we should just really show them the best way. What is the best way for them to get all the resources, love and praise, right? If I have treats on me and a lot of people say to me, when can I stop treating my dog? And my response is always when they're dead. You literally got a dog. Why do you want to stop treating them? That's like the best part of their day. That's their excitement. They they learned all these things that you've taught them and they want to please you and they should get rewarded for that. You know, you don't stop feeding your children because they turned a certain age. You don't stop collecting a paycheck because you learned how to do the job. Exactly. Like you, you still pay up for the things that they're doing. So if I always say, like I said before, uphold your part of the bargain. If you want your dog to listen to you, you have to pay up too. make it worth it for them. Because again, they're only looking for the most resources. If you're not treating them, you're not keeping them busy on you, or you're not being exciting or even giving them any sort of attention. You're on your phone while walking. Why are they going to pay attention to you? Of course, they're going to pull and find smells and eat this and eat that. Of course, they're going to do that. They're going to do whatever it takes to fill their time and keep themselves entertained, right? So what I do is I always keep them close to me. I don't give a ton of leash. So I always walk with my dogs on my left side. Um, I have the leash in my right, on my right wrist and it comes across my body. And I use, like John said before, I use my left hand as my anchor. So if they do lunge, they're really not going to go that far. They don't have a ton of leash to be zigzagging back and forth and, and pull me down. I have most of the leash with me. And when they go to lunge, I'm just bracing myself and I'm making sure that I'm not giving them that, that, um, the added energy to their reactivity. So I keep them there, but I'm also doing the look command with them and I'm doing other commands that we've learned inside the house and I'm letting them know, yeah, I do have food on me. You're going to get more food if you stay close to me. That's, that is, it, it's, it's black and white. It's very simple. If you stay close to me, you're going to get rewarded more often. And they're like, oh, okay. Sounds good. You know what I mean? It's, it's very, very simple. But like I said earlier, we make it extremely complicated. Yeah. Well, I wish that we had like another hour because I'm, <laughs> I'm learning like a ton. I'm like, man, I'm going to be totally ready whenever I do get a dog. <laughs> it's been a long time since I've had one. And I know we've been thinking about it here. And this is like amazing information. And <laughs> I mean, I really enjoy just checking out your website and all your other resources and even learn that you guys 
might even take out the garbage if you're house sitting, which is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, do you guys want to just kind of go over uh, any details on services you offer, your podcasts? Sure. I think the most relevant thing for your audience, because I'm sure they are all over the place, all over the country or all over the world, um, we offer virtual training. So if you liked what you've been hearing and it's interesting to you, uh, we offer two different things. We have obviously well over 70 hours of podcasts that you can listen to and that grows every week. We, we uh, release an episode every week and um, anything you can think of, anything dog related, uh, dog behavior, dog training, dog health. Recommendations on products. Yeah, we Like we said, we had done that interview with Meg Fackelt from Pitties, uh, Pastels and Pits, yep. who's, she's an artist, and we talked for you know an, a little over an hour about yeah. her artwork and what it means to her and how she advocates through it. And we've interviewed Sophie Gammond, who is a, an, an extremely successful artist who does uh, a pit bull flower power, where she does a whole thing about pit bulls and tries to change the stigma about and pit she bulls. She donates tons of money to rescues yeah, she and raises shelters, tons like of money and millions of dollars. She's incredible. So... We, we interview awesome guests and uh, it's just a really good podcast. So if you are a dog person, you have dogs, you love dogs, that's the podcast for you. It's just Possum University and we're basically wherever you listen to podcasts, we are there. And if you need help, then you can always reach out to us, possumuniversity.com. And we do virtual training. So like Jamie said earlier, we have, we have uh, uh, clients in uh, Scotland, Australia, uh, Belgium, mm -hmm. Canada, United States. We're all over the place and it can be done just like the way we're talking right now over Zoom. It's a 45 minute session. You are not held to anything. You want to do one and just tell me everything about your dog and I'm going to tell you exactly what's going on and how to fix it. And that's it. You don't have to call me ever again. One session, you know, and I have I have tons of people that come back for more and we work on a bunch of things. They just want their dogs to be really well rounded. And the second you start understanding what's really truly going on with your dog, the the better your future will be for both of you. And uh, if you are in the New Jersey area, we do have plans to hopefully have a board and train facility up and running within the next year. So keep an eye out for that. Well, that's really great. I thought you guys were an awesome guest. I thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule for me. And I wish you guys nothing but success. What's next for you guys? Is there something else you're thinking of doing or adding on? Definitely this board and train that we're trying to put together is going to be the uh, the next biggest thing for us because we'll be the only positive reinforcement uh, board and train in our area. And typically board and trains have a history of abusing dogs to get quick results so that people will pay several thousand dollars and in, in two weeks their dog doesn't exhibit the behaviors anymore. Yeah. So we are trying to basically create some legitimate competition and possibly put some out of business to get basically clear our area of these terrible board and trains that are just taking people's money and abusing their animals. So that's definitely going to be our next biggest challenge. Well, I think you guys have an incredible mindset about how to handle dogs and just animals in general. I'm sure a lot of the thought process you're using could be applied beyond just dogs. I mean, I could be wrong. You can correct me on that one, but I just well, love, you're absolutely right. Positive I love the mindset. Yeah. 
it's science-based so it's the same exact um you know the same exact principles that are applied by behavioral therapists for children dogs have the the emotional um what's the word i'm capacity? looking for yeah they have the emotional capacity of a two-year-old so the same principles are applied and, and studies are telling us more and more that the way you treat children and the, if you raise children the right way that's the way you should be raising your dog they they process information and emotions the same way well sadly everything that you guys were saying was somewhat compared to my cats i know we're not talking cats i'm sure you saw them walking around but, <laughs> i saw a couple appearances hey yeah, doesn't a couple hurt to appearances. try these techniques on them honestly if it's working for your other cat with going downstairs your wife was onto something there oh i know she's a smart one she's got a <laughs> lot of good ideas it was funny if you guys were talking about feeding. I'm like, aha, see, I'm a good pet parent. They're, they're eating and drinking right here. <laughs> you got He's proof. like, check, really good dad. <laughs> <laughs> well, when the day comes that we get a dog here, I'm definitely going to think of you guys. And I thank you again. Paul, some information. And mm -hmm. uh, I have to throw that pun in there. But, uh, <laughs> More than just a pun, it's your business. And I know. Yep. I really appreciate both of you, Jamie and John Caponetta. Thanks for being on Mark My Words. I am Mark Schmidt, and that's all the time we have today. We both got to get back to our lives. So <laughs> that's Thank it you for so Mark. much for having us. Thanks for um, having us, Mark. You bet. Anytime. I thought this was amazing. And one more note. This is the first episode I've done with more than one guest. So that is, ah, uh, I don't know go. if that's worth celebrating, but it's worth <laughs> noting. So anything for a celebration, Mark. I, I, I love it. <laughs> Jamie, John Capanetta, Paulson University, Paulson University podcast, Paulson walks, et cetera, et cetera. They're amazing. <laughs> Thank I'm you. I'm Mark Schmidt. This was Mark My Words. <laughs> <laughs>